Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, we've been talking about the problem with, and we've talked about many things. We did an introduction. We talked about you can't, or this basic question we've been cycling back to, how can we best be faithful to our calling in our world where it will never be normal to be a Christian? Uh, more and more, and as you, if you watch the news, I'm not a big watcher of the news, I'm more a reader of the news, you're just seeing how this world, and I mean quickly, is turning away from um, as far as what we would say values that we used to hold on to. And this worldview, which we've defined as, as this worldview is a way of seeing reality. And we broke those up to simply, there are a lot of worldviews, but just keeping it to two simple ones called the secular worldview and the biblical worldview. The secular worldview is feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. God is the ultimate guest. Biblical worldview, the Bible, which we'll be talking about today, is the ultimate guide. Holiness is the ultimate goal. Mankind is the ultimate sinner, and God is the ultimate focus. Now, if you watch the Oscars on Sunday, I didn't watch it, I just saw the, the afterwards effect, you saw the secular worldview being shown very much in front of you. I mean, again, I'm not, you had Will Will Smith, which I, as an actor, I love his movies and things, goes on stage, slaps Chris Rock. First, when I first saw it, I go, that's a joke, that was all planned, that's a skit, there's no way that could have happened. No, it happened. And then within 10 minutes of that account, which if any one of us at any other time would have done that, trust me, if you walk on the stage right now and you slap me, I'm not going to promise what I'll do to you, but I guarantee you the police will be taken away because that, that's the law. That's assault, okay? And then 10 minutes later, after he was defending his wife, he talked about how God has called him on a mission of love. Guys, this is, this is that danger zone. When you take things from the secular worldview, because you can find videos where it talks about Will Smith as a believer in Christ and he loves Jesus and everything else. And you take those and you just beg and borrow and, and I'm going to make up my own worldview. That's the world we're living in right now. And it could change at any point in time because next time you may not feel like that. Because if you look at worldview of that feelings, how I feel, what makes me happy is the driving force, and at the same time, I can claim Jesus. Guys, that's a danger zone. That's that lukewarmness that Revelations talks about. That I fear that some here, some who are watching, are in that place. And so, to maintain a biblical worldview, as we'll be talking about today, we've talked about God. Does God exist? And we talk about their proof of that evidence of morality, cosmetology. I almost said it again, cosmetology. Cosmology, the evidence of design and evidence from the Bible. We talked about Jesus, of what, you know, what the problem with Jesus and the problem that the world has with Jesus. You know, from the doobies saying, hey, Jesus is just all right with me and Jesus is my friend. Because Jesus is the Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe. And it is eternally important for you to know 
who he is. I believe that's true with the Bible as well. Oh, let's eat. Let's, let's see what happens here if I... Need a facial? Anyone? Right, right now is... I could take it off, but I'm afraid what might happen if I take it off without that going on. But this is the illustration I wanted to say with this, because in our culture today, we're in a pressure cooker. And that's what the world does. The world's design is to pressurize us, to force things into us. Now, I put a a whole apple in here, a whole apple. I tried it, diced it up, but it became instant applesauce. But this was just for eight minutes. Now, it looks normal. On the outside, it looks fine. Very hot. But if I cut it, and if you could see that, all of a sudden, half this apple is just mush. This is still hard. But if I set this for a little bit longer, this entire apple would be mush. And what culture wants to do, it wants to take us and pressurize us into making us mush. That danger zone. Where on the outside, just looking at it, it looks fine. But if I squeeze this, look at that, just squishy, mushy. And that's what culture will do. That's what our culture will continue to do because it's all around us. And that's the design of a pressure cooker. Pressure cooker is meant to force in, to cook from the outside in. Now, the only difference that as believers is we have, even though the pressure is still around us, we can choose whether to keep the lid on or not. We choose every day whether we keep the lid on. Because once we allow the lid go down, all of a sudden it's ready. And that's what the world does. That's what culture does. It's consistently doing that. I have to choose every day to take this lid off. I have to choose every day to say, nope, not going to do it. And then now it's locked in. I don't know how to take it off now. (laughs) I'm afraid I might blow myself up. I choose every day to take that lid off. I choose every day to not allow the culture to pressurize me. I do that through reading the word of God. I do that through prayer. I do that through fellowship. But if you take those things away, the lid gets locked down. And over time, you become mush. That's what the culture will do consistently every day, and it will not stop. Nothing's changed in the Bible when it's talked about that. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 2 Timothy. We're going to be doing a series, start July, going through the book of 2 Timothy. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's in prison writing to Timothy, and Paul is about to die. He knows he's about to die. And he writes these words to Timothy. Preach the word of God. 
be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Now, preach the word of God. Preach the word. Now, what's an interesting fact right now is that there was no New Testament at this point in time. It hadn't been put together yet. It was the only in the Old Testament that they had and the sayings that Jesus said and people had written down, but there was no Bible, there was no New Testament gathered together. Then it happened for a couple hundred years. But Paul's telling Timothy, you gotta preach the word. You gotta be ready in it at any time. And this word needs to be used to what? Correct. How many like being corrected? Raise your hand. Who likes being corrected? Who likes being rebuked? And encouraged. Because if the Bible is that, the word of God, it has many uses. And that's why sometimes up here you feel encouraged and other times, man, you slap me across the face. And you can be in the same service. And have two different responses. That's the power of what the word of God can do. But you can't take away the word. And when it says here, with great patience, because if you're a teacher of the word, you're going to have to have patience in teaching and careful instruction. I think the word careful is it because it's the next verse. Let's go to verse three. For the time will come, not that may, the time may come, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound up. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers on the internet, on YouTube, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. For the time will come, I think we're there. I mean, I, I love the internet. I spent a lot of time yesterday on YouTube researching a tool that I'm looking to purchase. Um, the ins and outs, I can, I, man, I can get a hundred different views on, a, on just, just a tool. And now with the power of the internet, how, every church in the world is online or anyone who wants to pontificate about the Bible and what they believe it to be. I believe we're living in a time when people just want their ears to be tickled. Don't be too controversial, Tim. Don't go, don't go hit certain subjects, Tim. Because that's gonna tick people off. That's why I think the careful, be careful, Tim. Because there's coming a time where people aren't gonna put up with that. And we're there. Um, because any time it's possible that who's ever preaching up here, kind of even the Will Smith, Chris Rock, I can't believe he brought that up on a Sunday morning. Guys, this is what's happening in the world. This is, again, just look at what, I, it's a teaching moment. If you want to know more about that, come to Holy Smokes on Tuesday. We're going to be talking about that a lot. But these things are the things, guys, this is what's happening in the world. What does the scripture have to say about that? Because if my biblical worldview is that the Bible is my ultimate guide, then that's going to direct me on how I look at different things and how I'm going to comment on different things. Especially 
with the stage and the loudspeakers that they have compared to me. As a worldview, a biblical worldview, we're in the minority, guys, and we're surrounded by pressure on all sides. I have to choose on a daily basis to not allow myself to cook in this culture and to be pressured in thinking a different way. Because if we don't establish the Bible as our ultimate guide, then our distinctiveness of who we are is just going to become that mush. It's going to become useless. And then we have no voice because we just kind of change and get tossed and turned by every wave. And so we can't allow the lid to be on. And with the secular worldview, the secular worldview is, it's all about feelings. It's about how I feel. And it's about my ultimate happiness. I could, I could put the statement after statement up here or video after video of people just talking about, it's all about me being happy. Because if I'm not happy, then no one's happy, which is technically, if mama ain't happy, no one's happy. I get that, but no, this is, everything is about my happiness. Everything is, is about my feelings of how I feel today. But the problem with feelings is feelings are subjective. Feelings could be motivated by the pizza you ate last night. I mean, how you're feeling about things. And if happiness is your ultimate goal, guys, this is where you're standing on sand. You're not standing on firm ground. You're not standing on a rock. A biblical worldview is that the Bible is the ultimate guide. Holiness is the ultimate goal because he calls us to be holy. But if you're of the view that the Bible is not something I need to have, it's not something I need to, to look at, that my final authority, because that's what it all comes down to, is about authority. Yeah, this is the question from to, that will be added. Where does your authority come from? Is your authority your feelings? Is your authority your happiness? According to the dictionary, that authority means this, the right to act in a specific way, delegated from one person or organization to another. Now, you've probably seen where someone doesn't have authority but tries to use authority on you, all right? Maybe you've been a coach and where a parent will try to use their authority and tell you how to coach. I just put some of these things, not that they're pertinent to me in my life at all. Um, the government telling you that they have authority over your child and what they need, what you can stick in their body. The government saying whether we can gather together or not, whether we can sing. Or some people who have a rightful authority abuse that authority. You know, where if a police officer pulls you over for a taillight and says, oh, you're going to jail, that's a misuse of authority, the power that they have. A parent telling your kid, a kid saying, okay, I need you to prostitute yourself so we can, we can have our toys around the house, which happens. They have authority, but it's being misused. So ultimately, where does our authority come from? Because depending on the answer to that is where our moral law comes from. Because if it's all about feeling-based and happiness, people can be, feel real good about doing something real bad. But if that's your final say, if that's your final authority, then you just go with how you're feeling, not with some moral truth or law. And it's not that people who 
have feelings can't live morally because they can because the Bible says, Roman, Romans 2.15 says that the moral law is written on their hearts. There is a compass there that God has placed. We, we do what we know we should do just because it's written on our heart. Whether we believe in a moral law, whether we believe in a moral law giver that God is there, it is written on our hearts. But here's the deal. Here, here's what scripture says. Because the way you choose has eternal consequences. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Just because I feel right about something. There's several things that I thought for sure I felt right about. Thank God I didn't act on those. That, this, that, that this, is my, this is how I'm feeling. Guys, I can't trust my feelings. There's a way that seems right to you, but that's going to end in the destruction. It's going to take you down a path that you shouldn't be going down. Our choice of where we're going to direct our worldview has eternal consequences. And it's going to require discernment on our part. At some point in time, you're going to have to be able to discern, which is the ability to distinguish between truth and error or right or wrong. The scripture over and over talks about test everything, which is the writer Paul is saying, test everything, hold on to what is good. And everything in the Greek means everything. But here's the question, what are you going to test it against? I mean, usually if we test something, much like, you know, we've we seen if this is going to hold up, if this is going to work. Yesterday, you know, I started with an apple, and that worked. I said, what happens if I dice the apple, did the same thing? Ah, that's not going to work. Uh, it's your testing things. And he's telling you to test everything. Why test everything? Because, because it has eternal consequences. I mean, that, that's the seriousness of, oh, you know, what's the big deal if they feel that way? Because it has eternal consequences. Someday, guys, we're going to stand before a God. We're going to have to give an account to what we believed in, who we believed in. And that's going to have eternal consequences to it. Discernment is what's needed. What we're testing against is important. And here's the deal. Feelings are totally subjective. Because they can change tomorrow, but God's truth is not. And here's a question that why is it that so many Christians theoretically know God should be their moral authority, but don't live as if He is? I mean, that's where Craig Rochelle will talk about practical atheism. You know, we say we believe in God, but we live as though he doesn't exist. We say God should be our moral compass, but if we go by what the reports of how much time people actually spend reading the Bible, it's dismal. How can God be your moral compass if you don't know what God's telling you what to do? And how important the Bible is 
not important, it's, it's beneficial to help me how I live, how I choose to act to my spouse, to my kids, to my neighbors, to my government, to, to, to my school, to the community that I live in. It gives me instruction because, again, if I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, everything I need is right there to help me live every day. But those in the secular world will say, you know, you can't can't trust the Bible. They question the legitimacy of the Bible. And it's funny, the first people in the Bible that Question the legitimacy of the Bible were the disciples of Christ. In Luke 24, Jesus is rose from the grave, but you know, people are saying, you know, that the angels show up and Mary's there, and this happens, this a report, 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 report. But in Luke 24, at the end of Luke 24, you have two disciples walking down, it's called the road to Emmaus. They're, they're heading out of Jerusalem. Just craziness is going on, and they're heading out walking to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, this guy comes walking behind him, and it's Jesus. But he does some something to where they can't recognize it's Jesus, and he comes up and says, "Hey, what are you guys talking about?" I mean, they're just kind of like, "Hey, what are you guys?" Talking? And they're down. It says they're downcast, and they're looking down. What do you mean? What we're talking about? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? It was Jesus. I mean, he was a great prophet, and they start, they start telling the story. And the Romans got involved, the Jews did, and they crucified him, and he's dead, he's in the grave. Now there's been some reports that he rose from the grave, but they're just a bunch of women. How can they be trusted? And they're just going on and on and on. And Jesus said to them, verse 20, this is Jesus listening to them talk. How foolish you are, in verse 25. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. So here's a couple of his disciples who are talking about what the prophets said and talking about all this. And he says, guys, you guys are just not that smart. Are you? Don't you remember everything that the prophets said? Which when they said the prophet, that means the whole Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament that was pointing to this Messiah This Christ? Again, people, I mean, back then, here's the disciples in today, how much people criticize that you Christians, you just blindly follow. Sam Harris, who's a noted atheist, says this. He says, tell a devoted Christian that his wife is cheating on him or that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible and he is likely to require as much evidence as anyone else. But tell him that the book he keeps by his bed was written by an invisible deity who will punish him with fire for eternity if he fails to accept its very incredible claim about the universe. And he seems to require no evidence whatsoever. To this atheist, yeah, you Christians are a bunch of, well, the Bible says that I believe it, that's the end of it. That there's no evidence of anything. And even these two disciples of Jesus as they're walking question the legitimacy of the Bible. That's why Luke 24, 26 says, did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them 
what was said at the scriptures concerning himself. I know I've said this before at this reference, but my professor who I loved at, at Denver Seminary, this was his favorite passage. And he says, of anywhere in time, this is where he wanted to be. He would have loved to been with Jesus as he opened up the Old Testament and said, here I am here, here I am here, here I am here, here I am here. The problem today is you've got those who, I mean, I, I think you have those who are biblical worldview, this is God's word, I'm living it. And then you have those who are pulling away. I, it, the term technically is being used, which I don't like the term because it makes them look, yeah, they're, they're really good. Progressive Christianity, it's called. And what progressive Christianity ultimately means, you just got to think, of, it's progressing from the original to something new. Because when, I, when you look at the Bible, is the Bible written by God or is it a book about God? Because how you answer that question is going to, that'll tell me everything I need to know about your worldview of where it's coming from. Is this a book by God himself? Or is it just a book about God? Because see, if it's about God, see, this is where the progressive Christians, when you, and people say, oh, I'm a progressive Christian, which again, that sounds, oh, that's cool. We need to be progressive. No, they're progressing from tradition of what it is and, and push it up that, well, the Bible is kind of man's understanding about God. And because you know, it was man's understanding about God thousands and thousands of years ago, our understanding about God is different because we're thousands of years ahead. And so since culture influenced them, we need to look at what culture is today. That's why you see Christians or churches who have held to traditional views going, no, when it comes to marriage, we're gonna have a different view. Well, we can have open marriage, gay marriage. When it comes to homosexuality, nah, I know it was a bad thing back then, but culture's different. That's, we should be accepted. That's why we have Becca Cook coming here on May 1st. You won't wanna miss that either. Okay, that all of a sudden, see, we need to progress our ideas from what tradition was into new things because cultural is different. The Bible becomes a spiritual tool. It's a beautiful thing. It has some beautiful sayings and beautiful writings. I mean, love one another and everything. But we're gonna gain our authority from what the culture says rather than what the Bible says. And guys, I guarantee you there's some sitting here that believe that. I will go back to, guys, your choices have eternal significance. They have eternal consequences. For if the Bible is just a book about God, then you could do anything you want. Because you can interpret it any way you want. But if it's a book by God, then you better prepare yourself because you're going to be corrected, you're going to be rebuked, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be all these things because the Bible is meant to be this guide and holiness is the ultimate goal to drive me to live in a life that is honoring to God and by the book that he left us to use to live that way. 
And I know people have questions. I, I wrote a bunch of questions down. Is the Bible historically legitimate? Has the Bible changed throughout history? Isn't the Bible full of ancient, outdated moral teachings? Can I trust a book that's thousands of thousands of years old? What about all the errors in the Bible? I love that one. Okay, let me give you a quick thing. Oh, man, there are just so many errors in the Bible. Just take your Bible, hand it to them. Can you find me one? Because they've heard it all their life. They couldn't find one. But just hand it to them and said, find me one. Again, there are things about the Bible that we can trust. And I'm going to on in your notes is, I'm going to just highlight some things. I'm not going to go into detail of these because you can <coughs> look at these yourself. But can the Bible be trusted? Because the Bible is the most unique book there is. Some of you heard this over and over again. A lot of, a lot of writers have taken this. There, there have been, especially Joshua Dow is a, uh, one who has put a lot of effort into just talking about the uniqueness of the Bible. Because Joshua McDowell, who wrote the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, the book started out to how to disprove Christianity. And in the process, because he's a law student and his Christian professor challenged him, all right, if Christianity is such a force, prove it in a court of law that it's, that it's fake. And as he tried to do that, so much evidence that bound up that he became a follower of Jesus because he couldn't turn away from the evidence that is there. So let's just talk about the uniqueness of the Bible. It's written by people in deep poverty to incredible wealth. From every walk of life, from kings to shepherds to fishermen to poets to doctors. It's written on three different continents, three different languages, it's in poetry, history, civil, law, ethics, parables, biographies, prophecies, personal correspondence, letters, and spanned over 1,500 years of time. If you try to gather 40 different people from all those different walks of life to say, just randomly pick them and see, can you guys put together a book in separate rooms? Can you guys put together a book that all says the same thing? Not going to happen. The Bible has been tried to be erased throughout time and destroyed. Can't happen. Heck, if you took one of my, some of my journals, you can probably put all the Psalms together from everything I quote in there because it's just quoted everywhere. The authenticity from the Bible, the questions that keep coming, it's called textual criticism. They ask certain questions of historical books. You've got the number of existing manuscripts. How many manuscripts do we have right now? Then the second, the dating of the manuscripts, how old are the manuscripts? And then how many variant readings do you have in manuscripts? So, and there's a list in your notes. You can look this up later. I mean, you, you have the Bible that has over 24,000, just in the New Testament alone, 24,000 manuscripts. All right, it was written between 40 and 100 AD. That's a 125 year span between it. And so you got a 25-year span and 24,000 pieces of documents. Now, does that make it the Word of God? No, that makes it, by historical standards, the most historically accurate book in the world. Because the next one under the New Testament is Homer's Iliad. I have Homer's Iliad on my shelf in my office. That was written in 900 B.C., so you're 900 B.C., the earliest copy we have is 400 B.C. That's 500 years from the original to the one we found, which means copy, 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 copy. 
And we have 643 of those, which is a lot. It's not 24,000. Because with the Bible, you have it written between 40 and 100 AD. So you have 125 years, the earliest manuscript. manuscript. You still have copies. But because there's so many copies, you can go back and look at and compare to see if there's been any changes. Writings of Aristotle, Caesar, Alexander the Great, you have five copies. You have two copies. You have another two copies. And you have thousands of, 1,400 years, 1,000 years between original and the earliest copy found. But I guarantee you, you go to a, a, a university or high school, and, oh, yeah, this is what Caesar wrote. Oh, yeah, this is what Aristotle wrote. How many copies? I remember doing this in a, in a philosophy class I took in Fresno. And the teacher... Well, I didn't get a good grade in the class because I, I constantly challenged the teacher. She was not used to a student challenging her thoughts and processes. And I brought this up, and all of a sudden the class is looking at me. No one's saying anything, and the teacher changes the subject. I love that. It just was so fun because they speak as just if it's truth. Rather than, well, did you also know that there's this? They don't want to hear that. But again, that doesn't make it the Word of God. That makes it an incredible, unique work. When you have the Dead Sea Scrolls, you got the archaeological evidence. Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. They were dated about 100 B.C. So here's this kid who throws a rock and something breaks, and they find all these scrolls. And so the, that, what's important, they were written in 100 B.C. The earliest scrolls that had been found, and this is from the Old Testament, is is way up here in, yeah, I want to be a, maybe a thousand year difference. So what was amazing about this is that so the earliest copies we have is here. These are way back here in 100 BC. Now we're going to find all the errors that are in the Bible. And when they opened these up and looked at them, they were the, the exact same thing. Now, again, that doesn't make it the Bible. It doesn't make it the Word of God. What it does mean... What was said back then is what you have today. When you take all the writings by the early church fathers, when you take all the writings that have been published throughout time, guys, the Word of God, one, it's the best-selling book in the world, but the Word of God is authentic. It's what was written by these people. You just have to decide whether it's a book by God or a book about because if it's by God, there's eternal consequences. There was a preacher named G. Cabin, uh, Campbell Morgan. He was a very popular preacher in the 20th century. He preached until he passed away in 81, at 81 years old. He, he felt the call to be a preacher in his early teens. And he began to read, and in school he came across books, just like today, books that are written that are saying the Bible is not the Word of God, can't be trusted. And he read other books by people, yes, the Bible is the Word of God, it can't be trusted. And here's this young man going, who do I believe, who do I believe, who do I believe? And so he chose to do this. He piled up all the books he had, pro and con, put them in a cabinet, and locked it. He then went down to the bookstore and bought a brand new Bible. And for two years, that's all he read. Two years, the only book he read. 
And this is what he said. I'm no longer sure that this is at the beginning of this process. I'm no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this I am sure. If it be the word of God and if it came to it, with an un, if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my, to my soul itself. At the end of that two years, he wrote, the Bible found me. I began to read and study it then in 1883, and I've been a student ever since, and I still am. I was with a gentleman this last week, and as we were spending time, I was getting to know him. He was asking me questions, and he quickly said, well, I, I bought a Bible the other day. I said, well, that's cool. He said, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it. I said, well, why are you reading it? He says, numbers. No, he didn't start there. That's good, because <laughs> that's confusing to me. He says, no, I started in the New Testament. I started in, the, I think it's the book of Matthew, he said. But it's confusing and all. I told him, I said, all right, here's what you do. As you're reading, and something doesn't make sense, put a little question mark in the side. I said that because I said, because the guy who met with me, that's exactly what he did. I got my first Bible, I'm reading this, this is like Chinese to me. Going, I, I understand the words, I'm not stupid or anything, but I, what does this mean here in houses? Why does this say? He said, Tim, just put questions. I can still see it. As a matter of fact, I was going to go check my, my original Bible in my office to see if I can find the question. I put questions next to the side. The next week we got to, we'd get together. I said, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I told this gentleman, I said, tell you what, I'd love to do the same with you. Think about it. As you read, you find a question, put a question mark, and the next time we get together, Let's just go and talk about the questions. Because I believe in the power of the Word of God. I believe that it has the power to change lives and hearts. Now the question is that each of us have to ask is where is our authority going to come from? Is it going to be my feelings, how I feel today? Is that going to be my final authority? Now, when I'm going to go to this book, it's been written by 40 different people from every walk in life, from three languages, three continents, and it all boils down saying the same thing about God. It tells just stories about this and this and this and how to act and how to live and how to, how to treat my wife and my kids and my business and how, or my attitude. Is that where I'm going to go? Because I also read that, that that has eternal consequences. And guys, I, I want to encourage you that if you're not in your Bible, I want to encourage you, if you're taking a secular, it's just a book, book about God. That's a wrong view of the Bible because then the Bible itself is a liar because it says it's written by God. So if it's just a book about God, then you need to treat it like any fairy tale that's out there because it can't be trusted because it actually says it is the word of God. From God, written by God. But I challenge you to start reading it. And especially you, if you're looking at, if you're looking at, you're just your own personal time in the Word. I'm going to tell you guys, 
I love studying. I, I love preparing messages. Man, I, I spend parts of Monday and then all day Wednesday. And, and I love putting this together. But I'm going to tell you, if that's the only time I spent in the Word, then one, I'm jipping you and, and, and I'm jipping me. Because if all I'm doing is studying the Word so I can take the Bible and throw it at you, no, I've got to take the Bible here first and then throw it, then talk it, then use it to correct, remove, to train, to do all those things that the Scripture tell me to do. And so I spend time for me and me alone. It's not to preach a sermon. Now, I may read something. Hey, that could be a good sermon idea, and I'll write it down. That's not why I'm reading. It's that time I personally need this. Well, Tim, you're a pastor, you're a Christian. If I don't have that, I'm going to shrivel up and die. If I don't have that, I'm going to be like that apple where just the pressure of life and the pressure of culture is just going to come in and make me soft and mushy. Now, I know I'm soft and mushy, but not that guy. I want to be soft and mushy when it comes to what I believe in, what I hold on to, what I believe is true, because those have eternal consequences, guys. And I promise you, the time is here when people want their ears tickled. But the word of God will be preached from the, from the stage. It will bring comfort. It will bring rebuke. It will bring everything necessary. But there will be a cost with that. There's a cost because not everyone's going to want to listen to that. And it will get to be more so as time goes by. Natasha Crane wrote this in the book I encourage you guys to get. Um, if the Bible is God's authoritative word for all time, then what it teaches is not a menu from which to choose. It's the truth on which to feast. I like that. The Bible is the word of God. It needs to be that which you hold on to, that you read, that you study, that you live your life. Do not allow the secular world to say it's all about your feeling and it's all about your happiness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I promise to make you happy. He says, I will make you holy though. And I guarantee you, when you're holy, you'll be happy. That's how it works. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for getting us up, getting us dressed, giving us breath today. May we take advantage of that, I pray, Lord. Um, help us use this to encourage one another. Um, we need that, especially in a world that just seems to be going to hell in a handbasket in a really fast way. But you're in control, you're in charge, and that's why I don't worry and stress out because I know you've got this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.